You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We celebrate today. You know, the Bible says that we, there are times for mourning, there are times for grieving, and then there are times for celebration and rejoicing. And it doesn't mean that we forget about the things that hurt in this life, but that we strain our heart forward uh, to see Christ and his victory over death, and we celebrate what he has done. We don't celebrate the absence of suffering because that would be uh, just not reality, but we do celebrate Christ is risen, and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Thanks for joining with us today. Let's go to God's word as we read our Easter passage. We're in John chapter 20, and we'll be reading uh, starting in verse 1, and this is the morning of the resurrection. Let's bring our attention to God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple whom had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that, they must, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to their homes. But Mary stood there weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. On Resurrection Sunday, there's one question among the early followers of Jesus as they come to the tomb and see it empty. That question is simply this, what have they done with Jesus? What have they done with Jesus? It's a question filled with grief, confusion, probably even some anger and frustration. What have they done with him? 
Peter and John arrive at the tomb and they do not expect Jesus to be alive. They go to the tomb not expecting to see a risen Jesus. Mary Magdalene, another close friend of Jesus, arrives at the tomb and she does not expect Jesus to be alive either. All three of them, they arrive at the tomb with something differently, different completely on their mind than the resurrection. The last thing on their mind, not even in, on their radar, that Jesus would be alive. And in this resurrection story, we see different approaches, two different approaches to the tomb of Jesus, both highlighting different versions of what it means to have faith in Jesus, what it means to trust in him. Peter and John approach the tomb with a hunger for answers. They want to know what has happened. They're, they're ones that are searching for the facts. They're, they're looking for the truth. They're doing an investigation. Mary approaches in a different way. She approaches with a, a heart full of grief, a heart full of love, a heart full of emotion, a bleeding heart for Jesus. And before you think that, that one approach might be better than the other, or which approach you might think that you would have when you approach Jesus, you should know that both of these approaches are not fully faith in understanding. Both of them have their limitations. Both versions demonstrate an aspect of faith, a search for truth and a heart full of love. Peter and John and, and Mary, they, they both express something of good value when they come to the tomb, but we know that something is missing. Something is lacking in their approach to the tomb. They are partially complete, but that means that it's partially incomplete. It's not a good or true picture of what it means to have real faith in Jesus. And this morning, we want to look at that. We want to look at what does it mean or look like to, to approach the tomb of the risen Christ with a full faith, a faith of understanding. What does it mean to really truly believe in the resurrected Christ? The first way to, uh, to approach the the tomb of Christ is the way that John and Peter do it, and that is facts without understanding. A search for facts without understanding. Peter and John take off immediately. You see this almost in a, a comical way. They're running to the tomb. They're filled with a determination and zeal. They are going to get to the bottom of what has happened. And they're going to the tomb. And the best way to figure out what has happened is we need to record the facts. We need to know the facts. They're so consumed with the details of what has happened. John even records their split times as they go to the tomb. Why does John record the fact that he beats Peter to the tomb? Because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's the truth of it. That's the facts of it. John ensures us that the facts are recorded accurately and properly for generations to come, that he is faster than Peter. <laughs> but John isn't really concerned about ego here. We know that because he's also quick to tell us, you know, I got there first, but I, I didn't go in first. Peter went in first. What did they see? Well, John saw the, the linen clothes there, right? He records the facts as he saw them and, and knows them to be true. He sees the linen clothes in the tomb, but no body. 
John compares his notes with Peter and Peter says, oh, I see the linen clothes too, but there's still, there's no body in here. And, and what else do you see? Well, I see a face cloth. And where is it? Well, the face, clo- face cloth is there where the face ought to be, but it's separate from the linen cloths of the body. And there's this space between the linen cloths and the face cloths. And John says, well, let me take a look. And he comes in and he says, I concur. The face cloth is separate from the linen cloths. I mean, look at this detail here. Why is he telling us this? Because it really happened. They, they are getting to the bottom of it. They're looking for themselves. They're eyewitness testimonies. They're acting like forensic archaeologists. We are analyzing history through the eyes of Peter and John, and this is good. They're studying what they believe to be a crime scene. They're gathering data, and they're comparing notes, and they're dusting for prints. Meanwhile, Mary is weeping outside the tomb just feet away from them. But they have work to do. They're studying the scene. What do we make of this kind of approach to the tomb of Christ? It is possible to have all the information and all the facts and still not have understanding. It is possible to to know exactly what has happened and to know the information to its last detail and still not have a faith with understanding that transforms us. We are told that at this point, John believes. But we know that it's, it's, a, it's a, a different kind. Of, it's a belief in the resurrection, but not so much an understanding of what it means for him. At that moment, he realized the only conclusion here is that Jesus is alive. But immediately he tells us, but we didn't really understand what that meant yet what it means for me, what it means for my life, what it means for my relationship with God. But all I can conclude from the facts that have been gathered is that Jesus is not here because he is alive. And they go back home. They just go back home. Remember, they they don't come to the tomb this morning expecting that Jesus is risen from the dead. When they see an empty tomb, they don't think that Jesus has risen from the dead, but that he has been stolen. And when they see the empty tomb, they they think that a, a robber has taken them. Grave robbery was a common thing at the time. They're, they first thought is not only is Jesus dead, but now his body has been violated and taken away. Insult to injury, grief upon grief. And they're trying to make sense of it intellectually. They're trying to understand and put the pieces together of what they see. And they have a partially complete faith. Because faith is not merely subjective. Faith is not a merely pursuit of an emotional, emotionally satisfying relationship with God or an experience with God that we experience just in the heart. Complete, complete faith in Jesus must include true facts about him. John tells us why he has recorded these facts throughout his gospel narrative so that we would believe, so that we would have this understanding. We need to know true things about Jesus and he is alive. And apart from the, the reality of those historical facts, we cannot truly believe in the truth of who God is, what he has done for us, and what awaits us in the new creation. But because it's partially complete, it's also partially incomplete. 
The, the, the Christian faith is not just built on, on wishful thinking, but on real eyewitness accounts. Intellectually believing in God is not enough. Knowing our Bibles frontwards and backwards and sideways, it's not enough. Giving a, a, a concise answer to, to what has happened in, in Scripture is not enough. There is a way to believe in facts and still lack understanding. Look at Peter and John. At this point, this is what is happening to them. They have learned all the facts and even John has learned, okay, he is alive. And yet their hearts have not been transformed. They see the data and they're still missing this real joy-soaked communion with the living God. They do not understand the significance of the resurrection, that Jesus has risen from the grave to bring them into a new life, everlasting communion with God, forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. And so they go back to their homes. They go back in hiding, still confused, still frustrated, still longing for answers that they don't have. At this point, it's just information. And then, and then there's Mary. And then there's Mary weeping outside the tomb. Mary shows us this other partially complete way to approach Jesus, to approach the, the tomb of Christ. And that is with feelings without understanding. We see what it looks like to have facts without understanding, but then there's feelings without understanding. After gathering all the data, Peter and John take off and go home. And now it's Mary's turn. She, she goes to the tomb that morning to give Jesus a proper burial. That's what she's doing there. Like Peter and John, she's not going to the tomb expecting to see a risen Jesus. She is going there, uh, something you couldn't do on Saturday because of the Sabbath, the Jewish uh, Sabbath laws prohibiting it. She couldn't do it on Saturday. And so she goes early in the morning on Sunday morning, the first day of the week to give a proper ceremonial burial for Jesus, whom she deeply loved. And it would include spices and perfumes and, and it'd be placed around his body. And because of the risen, Jesus was the last thing on her mind. And because she was just experienced a, a grief that was as deep as can be, she sees his clothes and his without any body there and thinks, why would they undress him and take him away. Two angels ask her, why are you crying? And she says, someone has stolen Jesus and I don't know where he is. Jesus himself stands next to her and she mistakes him for the cemetery gardener. And she even speaks to Jesus and says, if you did something with him, please tell me what you did so that I can go be with him. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus at this moment? It's hard to tell, it's hard to say, but maybe her eyes were just so filled with tears that everything was blurry. You know what that's like? Can't see anything. Maybe it was because of Jesus' glorified body what was just so uh, unrecognizable. It didn't look the same. Maybe that was it. But I think John is making a different point here. I think the point he is making is that often in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow, Jesus is the last person we expect to show up. And we don't see him and notice him in our midst because we're not looking for him. 
This is the last person she expected to show up that day and talk to her and console her. It is possible to have all the right feelings about Jesus and still lack genuine understanding of faith. It is possible to be moved in the deepest sense in our inner being of great love and uh, tenderness and, and emotion for Christ and miss him entirely. Mary loved Jesus. She mourned the loss of him. She had all the feelings and still lacked understanding. Just like Peter and John had all the facts and still lacked understanding. She had all the feelings, but lacked understanding. Now, I invite you to, I invite you to consider yourself. How might you approach Jesus this resurrection day? How are you approaching him today? Some of us will, will analyze and agree with the great historical facts of the resurrection. Some of you have come this morning to pursue, I just want to know more information. Some of you will, will, will have come this morning to have an emotional experience, to, to ponder deeply the resurrection, to be, to be filled with great deep emotion, but still lack genuine trust in him. Some will want to expand your capacity to know the facts, but your hearts are still kept at a distance from him. The resurrection of Jesus opens up for us a powerful new way to approach God and to have a relationship with God. It is not through loveless intellect. It is not through disconnected emotion, but through intimate loving communion with God the Father through Jesus Christ who really lived, really died, really, really rose from the dead, who is really indwelling those who have, have put their trust in him and is with us now. It is this picture of faith with understanding that doesn't just combine the two approaches of Peter and John and Mary, but gives us a third approach entirely different, entirely complete. What does faith with understanding look like? Think about this. Imagine if you were one of Jesus' disciples that day and you went to the tomb. What evidence would you need to be convinced that Jesus was alive? What would you need? What would it take for you to be fully convinced in your whole being that Jesus was alive. Would you say, you know, I need to see, I just need to see the clothes, but no body. And that would convince me on the floor of the tomb. I need to see the clothes and no body. And then I would believe, well, maybe that's not convincing enough. And because there's lots of things that could happen, right? Someone could steal them. Someone could move them. Maybe it's the wrong tomb. Maybe you would say, okay, not the clothes alone in the tomb, but I, I want to see not one angel, but two angels I want to see. I want to see two angels to show up and that would help me. I need a supernatural experience out of this world experience with God. I need this supernatural sign to show me that he is real and that he really cares. Maybe that's not convincing enough for you. Maybe you would say, forget the clothes, forget the angels. Nothing will convince me unless I see Jesus face to face and I can talk to him. Only then will I truly believe. Here's what the resurrection story tells us. All of those signs were given to John and Peter and Mary 
and they still missed it. They had all the signs given to them that Jesus was alive and still didn't, it wasn't enough to have true faith. Mary is standing closer at this point to the risen Jesus than anyone else in human history. And she missed it. She missed him. What makes you think that that evidence, that that sign enough would be good enough to change your heart, to give you understanding? You see, if if we want a real encounter with the risen Jesus, you could be handed information about him and it will mean nothing in themselves. You You can feel deep a movement of emotion within your soul and that still meaning without without understanding is nothing. We must have faith with understanding. True faith with understanding is a radical trust in the truth of what God has said so much that it transforms our despair into hope, our confusion into confidence, our fear into peace, and our rebellion into worship. Only Jesus is capable of creating and producing this kind of reaction and transformation in our lives. Look how Jesus puts a complete end to Mary's grief, confusion, sadness. Her entire life, her entire moment of devastation is put to an end with one word, her name. He calls out so tenderly and compassionately, Mary, and she is immediately recognizes him. In verse 15, when Jesus first speaks to Mary, she thinks he's the gardener. And Jesus asks her the question, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And it's a really pastoral question. It's a really tender question. It's a really compassionate question. And the best that Mary can come up with is, I just want to know where they put Jesus's dead body. Her greatest hope in that moment still includes a dead Jesus. Isn't that something? The best that she can imagine life at that moment still includes a dead Jesus. And Jesus simply utters her name, Mary, and she crumbles in joy. She crumbles in understanding. She crumbles in true belief and in faith. God chose Mary, chose Mary to be the first person to see him, to see Jesus risen for a reason. And one of the reasons is because of who she is. Was she a great person? Was she a reputable person in the town? Did she have a great track record? Was she a person of great character? Well, we know that that is not true. She is an outsider in every way possible. First century Judea, she was a woman whose testimony was not credible in the court of law. Her moral status was not in her favor. The Bible says that she was a woman of the night. So her reputation did not help her Her morals didn't help her. Her gender did not help her. But God in choosing her to be the first person to witness the resurrected Christ says so much about how we become transformed people that have real faith with understanding. 
By choosing someone of such poor reputation and character, God is telling us something about what it means to find faith in him. It always comes by grace. It always comes in spite of our intellect, in spite of our character, in spite of our record. It always comes by grace. Some will say, I am a Christian because I know the right things. Others will say, I'm a Christian because I feel the right things. Forget what you know. It is about this feeling, this deep sense of knowing. And others will say, forget about your thinking and your feeling. It is about your doing and no one does better than me. Which one are you? Why are you a Christian? Because you think the right thoughts or feel the right feelings or because you do the right things. None of that was helpful to have faith with understanding. None of those things were early enough or good enough for the early Christians to have real faith and genuine rescue. Our faith will always be incomplete if we intend to rest our salvation on what we know, what we feel, or what we do. The love of God is not proven to us in our intelligence or in our emotions, or in our righteous living. It is always proven at the cross and at the empty tomb of Jesus. This is where our faith is proven. It is proven. The love of God. How do I know that I can be made new? How do I know that I've been rescued? How do I know that I can be given a new heart that truly believes and have assurance of faith? Don't look at your facts. Don't look at merely your emotions or merely at what you do. Look at the resurrection. Look at the tomb and see that Jesus is not there, but he has risen to give you new life. The final scene here is Mary wanting to cling to Jesus and a very interesting scene here. And it reminds us there's something far greater far more important than for us just to be amazed at the resurrection and look at the resurrection and just be in awe of it. Or even to be intellectually amazed or to be emotionally amazed at it. We are not only to adore Jesus, but we are to share him, to worship him, to trust him, to give our life to him, all of our life, to serve the living God Mary returns to the other disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. It is more than information. She is not now saying, hey guys, I'm sorry for being so emotional back there. I'm a thinker now. <laughs> and I've seen the Lord and these are the facts. And they say, welcome to the club. No, that's not what's happening at all. This is not giving data. This is a confession. It is a confession a confession of faith that is more than sentimental emotion. It is more than loveless information. It is a confession of true transformation. That Jesus is alive and I now know what that means. That I can have forever communion with God. I have seen him and he has seen me into my soul and he has forgiven me and I will be with him forever. And God, and he's going to God, our father. And not only this, as she goes to the disciples, she says, he didn't just say my father. He says, our father. He says, our God. Look at the relationship that we now have with the creator God. 
the holy God, because Jesus is alive. A transformation, a complete understanding. Faith that overtakes her entire person. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. Why? Mary now knows why. And she would say, for me. I know it now. He lived and died and rose for me. She knows it, the greatest love that could ever be known, the greatest hope, the greatest joy and greatest assurance was not in her record or character because those were just no good. But she now knew it. It's gonna be, it's in the love of God. And she goes to the disciples and says, this is good news for you too. They wouldn't know it for a little bit. Actually, in the next passage, Jesus shows up again and he gives them understanding and they believe in a new way that they have never believed before. Jesus lived and he died and he rose for you as well so that you can say, I have seen the Lord. And Jesus says in this next passage, he even says, blessed are those who have seen me and believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe who still know in the resurrection and say, this resurrection is for me, for my life, for my rescue, for my salvation. And then we have exactly what Mary has. We have exactly what John and Peter have. We have exactly what all the saints before us have who have trusted in Jesus. Have you ever slowed down to hear him calling your name? Personally calling your name? inviting you into relationship with himself. If you're a Christian and you feel abandoned, you feel dry, you feel in a rut, just really stale in your faith, he's calling out to you. He's calling out to you to recenter your hope, not on what happens to you, not on what you do or what you think, but what he has done for you. His promise for you is, is to complete his promise is to complete the work that he has begun in you. He's not giving up. He is not finished. He will come back in the same way that he left to bring us to our forever home, which is in the love of God and his presence forever. He will sanctify you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. You will never be alone. He will advocate for you. He will sustain you and strengthen you when you are tempted and he knows your name and he's calling your name. If you're not a Christian, he's calling out to you as well. He's calling out to you so that you will not look for the good life in, among dead things of success, dead things of personal accolades and record or approval from others or from, from wealth or even through feelings of happiness. And maybe you're thinking, no, I will feel, I will feel whole I will feel like I have the good life when I'm finally happy. It will not be in those things. But he's calling out to you so that you will know that true life is found in knowing that you are loved and accepted by Jesus, by God, your Father. If you're not quite sure where you are, he's still calling out to you. He's calling out to you so that you would know that you're created with one ultimate purpose in life, and that is to know the living God 
to know him, to enjoy him. He's calling out to you, and that calling may, has, may have become distorted in your life and confusing, and it seems muffled, you know? And Jesus says to Mary, tell others I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, the resurrection is the only way for us to find our way back home to the love of God. The disciples came to the empty tomb with this question, what have they done with Jesus? What have they done? And I'll ask you today, what will you do with the resurrected Jesus? What will you do with the risen Jesus? Will you study him? Will you seek to just have an emotional reaction to him? Or will you truly know him? Will you truly understand the words he has spoken, the truth that he has given to us? Will you worship him? If you hear Jesus calling your name, he is not calling you in order to condemn you. He is calling you in order to rescue you so that you would know him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.